Well, let's turn together now to the book of Romans and chapter 14. We'll be focusing on chapter 14, verse 20, down to chapter 15, verse 3. It's helpful occasionally to remind ourselves that those big chapter numbers were not put there by Paul or Matthew or Isaiah or whoever's book we might happen to be in. And so um, the theme that Paul or the issue that Paul has been focusing on in chapter 14 continues on into chapter 15, uh, at least down to verse 7. And uh, we won't get that far this morning, but we will focus on verses 20 of chapter 14 down to verse 3 of chapter 15. Now, um, to to set this up, let me say this. If you're above a certain age, uh, you probably remember the what would Jesus do fad from the 90s, right? Uh, When WWJD bracelets were everywhere. Everybody had one, it seemed like. And um, even the best fads have their weaknesses, right? But there was a lot to be thankful for in the WWJD fad. For one thing... The emphasis upon Jesus was, of course, a great place to start. The more people that we get to think about Jesus on a regular basis, I mean, that's a great thing. And WWJD being everywhere, more people were thinking about Jesus and paying attention to Jesus. So that was a good thing. Uh, And second, um, the question, what would Jesus do, implied that we ought to be living our lives in imitation of Christ. And that's something that we don't think about as much as we ought. We're, we're all grateful if we're Christians. We're all grateful that Jesus died for our sins, that he rose for our salvation. We're grateful that he has saved us, right? And that he has loved us. But sometimes, uh, though we are grateful for those things, we are more focused upon imitating people other than Jesus then we are on imitating Christ himself and, and seeking to live our lives based on the, the pattern that he gave us. And so WWJD reminded us we need to be thinking about how Jesus lived and on imitating his actions, his behavior as much as we can, right? And, and living as he lived. So uh, that was a good thing. And last but not least... It was framed as a question that encouraged thoughtfulness, contemplation. It it reminded us that we don't automatically do what Jesus would have done. And that in order to do what Jesus did, we have to think about what Jesus might do in a given situation. And in order to think about what Jesus might do in a given situation... We really need to ask another question first. What did Jesus do? Before you can answer the question, what would Jesus do? You need to know the answer to the question, what did Jesus do? And in order to answer that question, we need to be familiar with the Bible. The Gospels especially, but not just the Gospels. In fact, in our passage this morning, as Paul draws our attention to the need to imitate Jesus... Though he could have simply referenced something Jesus uh, did in his life by, by maybe quoting a verse of one of the Gospels, he actually goes to the Old Testament. 
and quotes an Old Testament psalm that anticipates what Jesus would do in his life and uses that passage to remind us how we ought to live in imitation of Christ. So in a sense, the question, what would Jesus do, drives us back to the Bible and not just the Gospels, but the whole Bible and encourages us to pay careful attention to what Jesus did so that we know what we ought to do. So let's look at Romans chapter 14. I'll read beginning in verse 20 down to chapter 15, verse 3. And uh, let's see what Paul has to say to us here. He says, Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Now, we know in this chapter what Paul has been doing is he's been giving instructions about how Christians are to respond when we have differing convictions, right? We agree on the basics of the faith, right? We agree on who God is. We agree on the, uh, salvation being by grace through faith and apart from works and, and, and those kinds of things. He's not talking about those fundamentals of the faith that we are all united around. He's not talking about moral issues that are really clear in the Bible, like not lying and not murdering and not committing adultery and those those aren't up for debate but he is talking about issues of behavior that are based on scripture but where Christians disagree on how to interpret scripture or or maybe which passages weigh most heavily or something like that specifically he's saying you know some of you think it's okay to eat meat and some of you think it's not and some of you think it's okay to treat certain days as special and some of you treat all days the same and uh, he even indicates that there was uh, perhaps a disagreement about whether or not it was okay for Christians to drink wine or not and on these kinds of issues Paul says don't judge each other right if you just just agree to disagree leave each other alone about it uh, don't be despising one another over your differing convictions and so on and and now in verse 20 he gives us one of the heavier considerations uh, that ought to weigh upon us as we think about whether or not to do something. Now, um, perhaps you, whenever you're making a big decision, like you're trying to decide, are, are we going to move? Are we going to, am I going to take this new job offer? Or, you know, where are we going to send our kids to school? Or where am I going to go to college or whatever? Maybe when you do that, you make a, a, a list of, 
pros and cons, you know, kind of on one side, here are the good things, and on one side, here are the bad things. And even when you make that list of pros and cons, some of the things on the list weigh more heavily than others, right? The, some of the things on the list are, you know, they're significant, but they're not that important, and some of them are really important, right? Like, maybe you think, well, if we move, that's going to, you know, we're going to put our kids in a different school, they're going to have to make new friends, that's, that's pretty weighty, right? But also a really big raise with this job, you know, that's, that's weighty. And, you know, having to give up, you know, this other little thing, well, that's, that's not a big deal, but how do we weigh these other ones, you know, that are really heavy? Paul, in verse 20, is giving us a very weighty consideration as we ask ourselves, should I do this thing or not? Should I eat meat in this scenario or not? Should I drink wine in this scenario or not? How how should I respond to my brother when I know that we don't agree on what we should do here? And here's what he says. He says, do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. So you're in this scenario where you think, I have the liberty to eat meat. Paul said it. Paul said he's he's convinced too, right? That nothing is unclean in and of itself, right? That was back in verse 14. Jesus, Mark says in Mark 7, Jesus himself declared all foods clean. I have the right, I have the liberty to eat meat. But my brother thinks it's wrong to eat meat. So what should I do? Well, Paul says, what's more important? Food or your brother? Who God is at work in and has worked to save? What's more important? You exercising your liberty or you putting at risk God's work in this person's life? What what if you lead them to go against their conscience by eating meat and and tempting them to do something they think they're not supposed to do, and then they sin against God by going against their conscience, doing what they don't think is right for them to do, and you lead them astray and you lead them away from the Lord, you are undermining God's work in that person's life. And that is no trifle. More than... The question, am I allowed to? Paul encourages us to ask the question, what will it do to my brother? In the second half of verse 20, he says, everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. So if all we ask is, am I allowed to? So yeah. You're allowed to. You're allowed to eat meat. It's not a sin in itself. But, he says, it's wrong for you to make your brother stumble by what you eat. So there's another question you need to ask. What is this going to do to my brother? In your marriage or in any other relationship, right? if the only question you ask is, am I allowed to? When you're deciding what to do. It might keep you out of the biggest trouble, but it's not gonna, that's not enough to have a healthy marriage or a healthy relationship. You know, if, if you do something that you knew was going to displease that person or hurt that person in some way, and you say, well, I didn't break any laws. 
Well, congratulations. <laughs> but that's not enough. That's what Paul's saying here. Right? Simply asking the question, am I allowed to, is not good enough. That's an important question, because if the answer is no, well, then you have your answer. You don't have to ask any more questions. But if the answer is yes, you still have more questions to ask. Like, okay, I'm allowed to do this, but what is it going to do to the people around me if I do it? Is there anyone in this circle right now, in, in my presence or in this church or at this meal or whatever, is there anyone here right now that I'm going to potentially harm or lead astray or cause to stumble by my behavior if I do this? If not, great. But if so, that ought to weigh heavily in what you decide to do, Paul says. Verse 21, he says, It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. You could imagine somebody saying, Well, if the reason we can do this, the reason we can eat meat, is because Jesus himself said it's clean. Right? There's something about Jesus' coming, right? That now we're not under those laws anymore. So, so shouldn't we lean into that, enjoy that, celebrate? Isn't that a good thing for us to exercise the liberty that Jesus gave us? Well, yeah, sometimes. But here's what else is good. Not to do those things if it's going to cause your brother to stumble. Not to exercise your liberty if it's going to harm somebody else. It is good to not exercise your liberty if it's going to hurt somebody else. Now, all through this chapter, uh, or at least at the beginning, Paul was hinting at the fact that these disagreements are matters of faith. Right, all the way back in verse 1, he said, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. And then in verse 2, he said, One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Now in verse 22, he spells out, at the beginning of verse 22 and end of verse 23, he spells out more clearly than he has yet what faith has to do with these differences. Right? Now we have to be careful here. And others have pointed this out. We have to be careful here because the word faith is used different ways in the Bible. Right? Faith can refer to um, your belief in the essentials of the gospel. Right? That we're saved by grace through faith. Right? You're saved because you, God has been gracious to you and you believe that Jesus is Lord and that he died on the cross and that he rose again. You're saved by grace through faith. Faith can also mean the things we believe. Like in, in Jude, the little letter of Jude before the book of Revelation, he uh, encourages us to contend for the faith. Right? Not for having faith, but the things we have faith in. Right? The essentials, again, of the, of the Christian faith. The faith. But here, Paul is not talking about our faith in the essentials of the gospel. He's talking about 
uh, he's using the word faith to refer to our convictions, right? Those things that we believe we are allowed to do or that we believe we should not do. So in verse 22, he says, the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Now, obviously, somebody could pick that verse out and, see, and say, see, no evangelism. Don't go tell people about Jesus. Don't go trying to convince people to believe that Jesus is the Savior. Paul says, the faith you have, keep between yourself and God. Don't, don't bring it up to anybody else. Obviously, one, that has nothing to do with what Paul is talking about in this chapter. And two, that would be totally inconsistent with all the rest of the Bible. That can't be what that means here. Right? That's why context is so important. So what does he mean? What he means is, some of you believe, you have faith that you can eat anything. Don't make that a public issue. Keep that between yourself and God. It's, you, we're not talking about the faith. We're not talking about whether or not you believe in Jesus. We're not talking about the doctrines of Christianity. We're talking about your convictions that you know you have brothers and sisters that disagree with you about. He says those things you keep between yourself and God. Don't make them matters of public contention. All right, now, one teacher I read about this, who I, I tend to agree with on most things, seem to say that what this verse means is that we ought to know sort of in our hearts that this is something we're allowed to do, or eat meat or drink wine or, you know, observe this day or not observe this day or whatever. Have that conviction internally, but never act on it because others disagree with you about it. I don't think that's what Paul means here. Another teacher, who I also often agree with, put it this way, and I think he's more correct. Here's how he explains verse 22. He says, The strong are free to maintain the convictions of their faith in the privacy of their home or with other believers of like conviction. I think that's what Paul is getting at here. You don't bring it up in scenarios where you know it's going to be contentious. You don't bring it up where you know it's going to be a problem. <clears throat> you don't bring it up where you know you might cause somebody to stumble. But if you're by yourself, with your family, with a group of people you know it's not going to be an issue for, fine. It's perfectly acceptable <clears throat> in those scenarios. Right? But then he says, <clears throat> verse 22, Blessed is the one who has no reason, excuse me, to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. I have to get some water. <clears throat> now, excuse me, here's a warning, Paul says. What you don't want to do <clears throat> is you don't want to approve something, do something, that later you're going to have to go back and say, I shouldn't have done that. That later you're going to feel guilty that you did it. Right, the blessed person <clears throat> is somebody who doesn't have any reason to judge himself, right? feel guilty about, condemn yourself later for what you did. And <clears throat> he explains that a little bit further in verse 23. He says, but whoever has doubts 
is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. All right, so this, this is a principle I feel like is um, under-recognized, under-appreciated, not, not drawn attention to very often. But here's what Paul says. If you're on the fence about whether or not it's acceptable for you to do something, don't do it. If you have doubts, if you think, uh, I'm not sure that God is okay with me doing this certain thing on a Sunday, or you're not, not sure about whether or not you're supposed to eat this thing or drink this thing, Paul says, don't do it. If you do it, though you're uncertain about whether or not you should do it, you're condemned. For whatever does not proceed from faith, he says, is sin. And it may not be sin in itself, but if you're not sure that God is okay with you doing it, and you do it anyway, then you at least are sinning. Somebody else might be able to do the same thing, and it'd be perfectly fine, because it's not sinful in itself, and they're convinced that it's not sinful in itself, have no doubts about it, no qualms about it, it's perfectly fine for them. But it's not fine for you if you're not convinced that it's okay for you to do it. Now, in verses 1 to 3 of chapter 15, Paul nails down the um, sort of fundamental principles that ought to guide us on these issues. Um, number one is that if you're strong in faith, right, you have an obligation to bear with the weak. You owe that to them. You ought not to look down on them, as, as Paul has said. You ought not, uh, not to despise them, judge them. You have an obligation to bear with them and not to please yourself. You have no obligation to do what you want to do. You have no obligation to eat meat. You're not required to. But you do have an obligation to care for your weaker brother. And to make sure you don't do anything that will harm him. Right, so in verse 2 he says, Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. So your obligation is to bear with the weak and to help build up the weak. Your obligation is to do what is good for your neighbor. Right? And when it says, let each of us please his neighbor, he doesn't mean, you know, do whatever they want you to do. Right? Do whatever builds them up. Do whatever is good for them. In other words, when you make decisions, you are not considering only yourself. This is what Paul was talking about in Philippians 2 in our scripture reading earlier. Right? Don't think only about your needs. Right? Think about your brother. Think about your sister. How can you build them up? How can you bear with them where they differ with you on your convictions? Right? And, and Paul roots this, he grounds this in the example of Christ in verse 3. He says, For Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. And that quote is from Psalm 69, right? And the idea there is that those who were hurling reproaches upon 
God, those reproaches have fallen upon Christ. And it calls to mind the whole gamut, really, of Jesus' suffering, right? of what he endured, what he went through in order to save us, right? in order to bring about our salvation. And so Paul says, okay, we're supposed to imitate Christ, right? What did Christ do? Did he come and say, here are my rights, here's what I deserve, here's what I'm allowed to do, and I'm going to do all those things regardless of how it affects affects the rest of you. That's the furthest thing from the way that Jesus lived, right? Jesus, as Paul told us so beautifully in Philippians chapter 2, gave up so much for our sake. He was in the form of God. He's equal with God as God's son. And yet, he emptied himself by taking on flesh, being born as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. He went from the highest place to the lowest place. Why? To save us. He did not please himself, Paul says in verse 3. And so here's how, here's how one teacher put it. I, I just don't think I could put it better than this. Here's how he draws together Christ's example and what Paul is telling us we should do or not do here in these chapters. He says, if for our sakes Christ was willing to go as far as this in his not pleasing himself, how ungrateful should we be if we could not bring ourselves to renounce our self-gratification in so unimportant a matter as the exercising of our freedom with regard to what we eat or whether we observe special days for the sake of our brothers for whom he suffered so much. In other words, it's not asking a lot for us to let go of these little liberties that we have when we're around brothers and sisters who it will offend or, or cause to stumble, rather, if, if, we, if we do these things in, in their presence. It's just not worth it. It's not worth it. What Paul is encouraging us to do is to look at our brothers and sisters, and if we know that there's something we disagree about, to look at them and not focus on the disagreement, but to look at them and think, there is someone for whom Christ died. There is someone in whom God is at work. There is someone for whom God sent his son. Do I want to do anything that would lead that person to dishonor the Lord? To turn away from the Lord? To do something they think the Lord doesn't want them to do? Even if it's something technically they could do. But they don't think they should. Should I encourage them to do that anyway? Is that worth it? No. Rather, I should seek to do what is good for my brother or my sister. I should seek to do what would build up my brother or my sister. I should seek to do what not only is in my interest, but what is in their interest because that is what Christ has done for me and that is the example that Christ has left me to follow 
And that is not only what Jesus did, but what Jesus would do, and therefore would have us do. Let's pray.